Well, we are continuing International Month here at Chapel Street Church. We had an Australian last week, and you have a former British man with you today. Who knows who will be preaching next week? But I, uh, I'm glad to be with you. It's a great time of year, as, as cold as it is. I love this time of year because it always fills me with really, really great feelings. My wife especially loves kind of the lead up to the Christmas season. She's already begging me to put up the tree. I refused. I said, we have to do Thanksgiving first. I'm not hanging lights anytime before Thanksgiving's done. But it's, it's just a kind of a time of year where we're all excited, we're thrilled, we're looking forward to what's coming. And of course, this week especially, we're hopeful to be thankful. Uh, now, we can actually measure the impact of how good this week is for people. Uh, I don't know whether you know this, but gratitude is a scientifically measurable benefit in our lives. There was a, a research done by two psychologists that I want to tell you about this morning. In one study, they asked all participants to write a few sentences each week focusing on particular topics. And one of those was things that they were grateful for. Things that they were grateful for. So this one study group was writing what they were grateful for, and then there was two other groups alongside of them. One that was writing about daily irritations or things that displeased them, and then a third that just wrote about kind of neutral events in their lives. And after 10 weeks of them each doing this every day, the, those who wrote about gratitude were measurably more optimistic and felt better about their lives. They surprisingly exercised more and had fewer visits to physicians even than those who had focused on sources of aggravation. And so scientists think that there's an actual link between gratitude in our life and then its physical effects on our body even. In a Harvard Health Publishing article, it was said, in positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. I think that's a great case for why this week is so important for us. But there's one problem. It won't work if we don't have true gratitude in our life. It's nice to aspire to be thankful people and to want the benefits of being grateful people, but unless there's true gratitude in our life, it doesn't work. What was described by those articles is something that God's Word already captures and tells us is true. But the dilemma in human hearts is that often we struggle to find gratitude the way that we should. We struggle to find the things for which we can truly be thankful. Imagine how many tables this week in America people will gather and the question will be asked, what are you thankful for? And people will read through a list, but often that list consists of things that they feel obligated to be thankful for rather than what they truly are. And so how do we find gratitude? Well, as always, God's Word's got an answer for us. Do you know that the people of the way were a people of gratitude? If you read through God's Word, you read through the New Testament, you find about a group of people who, though they were f suffering all kinds of afflictions, all kinds of struggles, they again and again were grateful. And in, even on some occasions, after being arrested and beaten, the people of the way, the followers of Jesus, would celebrate and rejoice and say, thank you to God that we're counted worthy to suffer with you. And so gratitude was something that marked the people of the way very deeply. It astonished people around them, astonished Roman officials and Jewish leaders that these people, these followers of Jesus, would be so consistently grateful. Where did that come from? Maybe we could ask this question this morning. What is true gratitude and where does it come from? 
Because going into Thanksgiving, I think that we as the people of God, the people of the way, we need more than a forced list of thank yous around a table. We need to locate the source of true gratitude. And so this morning, I want to read an account from Luke's gospel with you, a story that probably you have had at least once before, where Jesus heals 10 lepers. Let me read this to you from Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. We're going to look at this account through three lenses today. Three lenses that will help us locate the source of true gratitude. The first is a merciful act. The second is a grateful response. And then lastly is a true healing. And the first of those is a merciful act. Now some of you know that I lived in Texas for the first eight years that I was in the United States. I went to Baylor University, loved being down there. I was actually just speaking before the service with someone about uh, how much I miss the heat this time of year from Texas. But one of the things that was most fun for me to do when we were in Texas is uh, to go and tube on the uh, Brazos River. Uh, You would often spend a couple of hours doing it and going down a length, drop the cards at one point, someone would go and pack them at the next, and then you would just float down the river for the day. And often you would have one tube that would have kind of an ice chest in it with all of the drinks and some snacks for the day. So this was fantastic. We were having a great day, got on the river, floating, beautiful weather. Unfortunately for Andrew, whose luck is always pretty bad, uh, the river got pretty choppy about halfway through. And Andrew and his tube went this way, and the ice chest went this way. But there's something else that complicates this, because I, thinking that this was a wise thing to do, had tied the ice chest to my wrist so that it couldn't float too far away from me. We came to a section where there was a big old rock right there in front of us, and the ice chest went this way, and I went this way. And so we just got stuck, and this little rope was holding us. Now, I didn't panic at first. I was just thinking, this is mildly irritating. Uh, But as time went on, I noticed my hand was starting to lose some color. Uh, And I looked over and there was a gentleman, he was kind of on the end of his pier, uh, looking towards the river. And he looked at me and said, boy, you all right? And I kind of floated there in the river. And and at first I didn't think, oh, I don't don't know if I should say anything. This is a little embarrassing. But slowly my hand started to turn blue. And I'm panicking. I say, yes, sir, please, please jump in, help me out. And so he did. He jumped in, swam over, and he unhooked the rope, and we floated on, thankfully, without any more delays. But there was a moment there where I really thought I might be losing uh, my strumming hand for my guitar over something as silly as an ice chest floating the wrong direction. But in that moment, when I thought that, I discovered a real serious need, and it caused me to ask a very quick question of the person around me. I understood my need, I understood that I needed help, and so I cried out. And that's what these 10 lepers are doing in this story. They are a group of people who are profoundly aware of their need, and so they find the one person they have been told can help them with their problem, can help them with their dilemma. 
starts in Luke 17. We're told that Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. The story of gratitude begins with two things. It begins with an understanding of our need and an understanding of God's mercy. An understanding of our need and an understanding of God's mercy. Now leprosy, we read a lot about in the Bible. It comes up a lot. The whole story of the Bible is filled with moments of it. God has a lot to say about it. Jesus interacts quite often with lepers. But what we sometimes have kind of lost an understanding of in our day is just how horrific this disease was for those who suffered from it. This is what Tim Keller tells us about leprosy in Jesus' day. In antiquity, the term leprosy was a term used to denote a variety of deforming and often fatal skin diseases. In many societies, lepers were quarantined into places where they couldn't contact others and spread their disease. But in Israel, lepers were in addition considered ceremonially unclean. Even coming near a leper often made a person unfit for worship. And so these lepers often kept at a distance. They were physically removed from the cities and villages, put on the outskirts of town so that they wouldn't spread it. But additionally, they couldn't even worship with the people of Israel. Unlike, let's say, Gentiles, who there was a section in, in, in temple worship for them to come and, and join, at least on the outside, lepers couldn't join in at all. They were completely ostracized from society. If you were a leper, you may very well as, as well have been dead because there was no interaction for you. There was no worship for you. But Jesus, he knows about this. He knows this group of people, and so he's passing through an area. If you'll notice, it says he passes between Samaria and Galilee. Jesus, I just want to point out here, is being very thoughtful because he knows that he's about to travel through a region that has people like these lepers. This is not kind of an ordinary way to take a route. He's passing exactly through an area where you're more likely to encounter people like this. He knows how difficult it is for these people. He knows it was a miserable position to be in, and he knew that these people knew that they had a need. They knew that they had a need. And I think that Jesus had a, a soft spot for that, for people who understood their need. Because how many people around Jesus on a daily basis would he interact with that had needs? All of us have needs, and yet so few of them often would come to him and ask him about it. For sure, we are told about large crowds of people who would come for healing, who would come for uh, their blindness, to, uh, their eyesight to be restored, for their eyes to be opened, for their ears to be opened. But how many people around Jesus struggled with addictions and shame and broken relationships, greed and bitterness that never cried out to him? We know certainly of a, a good cluster of those people. We're told on a daily basis that Jesus would preach, but people would resist his preaching. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. They didn't want anything to do with him. But not these lepers. They knew and they understood that they needed Jesus. And so even amidst tragedy and pain and suffering, these lepers have something that many people around them didn't have. It was an understanding of their need. That's why John Dixon last week when he was preaching from the Beatitudes, he reminded us that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know that one of the kindest things that God can do for you is to help you understand your need? 
to open your eyes to your needs so that you will not remain in darkness, so that you won't remain in a place of suffering and torment, so that you can come to him. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that this suffering that these lepers are going through is a good thing. I'm not saying, well, good, I'm glad that they're learning their lesson from their suffering. Their suffering's evil. All suffering in this world is evil and broken, and it causes the heart of God to grieve. However, God in his goodness, because of the great love with which he loves us, is compelled to not let that suffering rest in meaninglessness. God actually comes into our lives and will twist and use what the enemy intends for evil for good. He will use even those things in our life that bring tragedy and grief to produce goodness, to produce hope. And that's why Paul writes in Romans 7, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul reflects on how broken his life is, how sinful he is, how much in need of a savior he is. And then yet he says... Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul Paul simultaneously knew two things. He knew he had a great need, but he also knew he had a great savior who was willing to show mercy to him. And that's the second thing that we need to understand if true gratitude is to grow in our life. It's not simply that you and I have needs, but that we also have a God that delights to meet those needs. If you know that you have a need, but you don't know that God is merciful, you'll become an embittered, angry, frustrated person. Because you will be aware of a need that you have and carrying that burden, but you won't know that there is one who can meet that need. And so you'll carry it your whole life in your own hands. One of the worst lies that we can believe about God is that he doesn't want to help us. Nothing could be further from the truth. We're told in God's word that he is rich in mercy. If you remember last week, John Dixon highlighted something that I think is so important. A biblical understanding of mercy is not withholding a punishment that someone deserves. It is giving a goodness that someone needs. It's more like charity. And that's an unchangeable part of the fabric of who God is. He delights to show mercy. He delights to meet the needs of people. People who are carrying burdens. People who are aching in their heart. He loves to come and meet them. These lepers understood that. They believed that. They trusted in that. And so they approached Jesus asking him this question. Knowing that in all of Israel, many would reject them, would be repulsed by them, would want to travel away from them. But not this man because he was merciful. Friends, if only we could believe, as those lepers did, that God wants to meet our needs. If only we could have their confidence to see the one who sees us. Actually, just yesterday, it's worth mentioning, I was writing this very part of my sermon. I was reflecting on this, and uh, we were talking about, my wife Janae came in, and we were talking about the kids. We've had kind of a, a difficult month of parenting for various reasons, and we just felt overwhelmed by it. And we're kind of lamenting our needs as parents. I don't know whether we're wise enough. I don't know whether we are skilled enough. I don't know whether we're making the right choices. We have a need as parents. Our children have needs as kids. And as we're talking about this, I'm reflecting. And I'm realizing in my life, I so often focus on the needs in my life, and yet I fail to look at the one who can meet them. And so Janelle and I took a moment just to stop and to reflect, not simply on what we need, but on the one who's able to meet those needs. 
to pray and to call out for the one who's able to love our children and care for our children and care for us as parents. Maybe there's something in your life today that you have been carrying that you feel the burden of and you're wishing there was someone who could help. And the encouragement of God's word this morning is that there is. There's one who sees you in all the things that you struggle with, whether it's as a parent, as an employee, as a brother, as a sister, as a father, as a mother, whatever it is that you carry that you struggle with, God sees that and is able to help you. And when we realize that, we can come to, like these uh, lepers did, a grateful response. A grateful response. Now, one of the other reasons I really like this season is I like to give gifts. I love to give gifts. And I kind of pride myself and get a little too invested in, can I get something that will really blow someone's mind this year? And I'm not always great at that. There's been many occasions where I've got a gift that has kind of fell flat. Uh, But one of the people that I like to do this most for is my sister, because my sister is a fantastic gift giver. Ever since I was a little kid, she always worked really, really hard to get me something fantastic that would always blow my mind. And so I, for many, many years, thought, how can I pay her back? How can I get her back for this? And my sister, being a very good British woman, is very unemotional, uh, kind of stiff upper lip, you know, very serious. And so I thought one year I was going to get her a really emotional gift. I'm going to, I'll write her a poem. Uh, because that's one of the things that I like to do. So I wrote this poem for her, and I brought it, and I wrapped it up Christmas morning, I gave it to her. It was a picture of her and I when we were little children, and I gave her this poem that I'd written, and uh, she just kind of looked at it and had no reaction, and I was like, shoot, I've missed it. Now she thinks I'm weird, she thinks I'm a poet, this is not going to work out. I thought it was so great, and then she starts crying, and then I think, oh my gosh, now she's really sad because she thought I was going to get her something great, and she's just got a poem. And she tells me that's one of the best gifts she's ever received. She comes and gives me a big hug. She's never been that emotional with me. And in that moment, I felt the joy of giving a really good gift. Because I'd never seen my sister react that way. I'd never seen it. And that, that's, that's one of those addicting feelings that the next year you're like, okay, I've got to trumpet now. I've got to get to the next level of really great gift. Do you know who I think is really addicted to giving us good gifts? Is God. I think he relishes the feeling of delight that comes about in our hearts when we see and acknowledge the good gifts that he's given us. He loves to give good gifts. But we're not always great at responding with gratitude. In this account, one of the lepers, one of the 10 lepers saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. When we understand our need, we understand God's mercy and it creates gratitude in us. There's four things that we see about gratitude in this little moment with this leper that turns back. We see that gratitude is expressed, it's specified, it's prioritized, and it's unifying. I know there was a few there, so we'll take them one at a time. Gratitude is expressed. This man doesn't just marvel to himself, it it erupts out of him. He doesn't walk away and think, wow, this is incredible, but he is forced to stop and to turn around and to head back to give thanks. Because true gratitude has to be expressed. It compels us. Can you think of your thanksgiving over this last year? Is it something that was able to be neatly packaged and put into the details of your life? Or was it something that changed you? Have you reflected on God's gifts to you to the point to where it is changing the direction of your life? 
If your life remains largely the same after understanding God's gift as it did before, then perhaps actually you haven't understood it. If you still chase the same things, if you follow the same patterns, if you react to people in the same way, perhaps you need to come back to the gift of God in Jesus Christ and let your heart sit on it for a moment until you understand truly what God's given you in his son. In this moment, it's a really great point where this leper, he cries out in a loud voice, we're told. It's a Greek word, it's megasphone. What does that sound like? It's, it's the, exactly what it means for us, megaphone. That's where we get megaphone in our language, it's megasphone. This man is proclaiming as loudly as he can, look what God has done for me. And that brings us to the second thing about gratitude. It's not simply loud, it's specified. It's not just some general feeling of thankfulness. It names exactly what's been given. He turns and he runs to Jesus. It goes to our understanding of need. Gratitude acknowledges not simply that God is generally good and kind, but that he's good and kind to me. He's not just someone that showers gifts and affections and blessings on the human race. He's someone who has showered them on me personally. The riches of his love has been shown to me. How often do you apply the good news to yourself? How often do you take it from being an idea that's up in the sky, that's hopeful, to something that's present and real in your own life? That your sin is forgiven. That your needs are seen and heard by your heavenly Father. That you have been adopted into God's family. That he calls you a son or a daughter. That God's spirit dwells in your heart and renews you and strengthens you and holds you together when life gets rocky. That you are called beloved and sought after. That you've been invited to join in the redemption of the whole earth. That God has chosen you to be his instrument of grace and love and mercy to a world that needs it. That you have been promised inheritance in Christ. That your name is written in God's book of life. If you hear me saying these things this morning and you don't yet feel the gratitude in your heart, perhaps as you hear me say those things, you say they sound wonderful, but I don't know whether they are mine. Then I would ask you to come to God's word and remind yourself of this. They are not yours, not because you feel them. They are yours because Jesus has promised them to you by his very own life. Don't give thanks because these things feel true. Give thanks because they are true. Gratitude to God is also prioritized, and it's prioritized around Jesus. These men were on the way to the temple. Jesus' instruction to these lepers was to go and show themselves to the priest. And Jesus was doing this is because it was a custom in Jewish law and tradition that a leper that had been healed should go and show themselves to the priest. And yet this man, when he sees that he's healed, is forced, he's compelled to turn around because he understands that his, his thankfulness, his gratitude needs to be prioritized around the one who's just given him this gift. So he turns and he falls at the feet of Jesus. He didn't thank the universe for giving him good karma. He didn't thank himself for having asked the right guy for help. He didn't even go to the temple and thank the priest. He turned around to Jesus and said thank you to him. Where are your thanks directed? 
Is thankfulness something that you generally kind of utter out there into the universe? Or is it directed towards the person of Jesus, who is God's blessing and gift to you, and the giver of every good gift? Last thing is gratitude is unifying. There's a throwaway sentence in this section that often doesn't mean much to us. After he returns, there's one sentence that says, and he was a Samaritan. And we might be inclined to say with our modern ears, okay, is that really an important detail? It's nice, but if you were a hero in Luke's day, if you were one of the first hearers of Luke's gospel before it was written down as Luke tells this story, as this story was even told to Luke, this would have been a shocking moment. It would have been a moment where the whole story stops dead because Jesus has just shown mercy to a Samaritan. A Samaritan. Do you know that Samaritans were often hated by the Jewish people? There was deep racial divides between Jews and Samaritans because Samaritans were the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh. They were two tribes that had intermingled with Gentile society. When the kingdom of Israel had fell, they had kind of given in to the, the new culture that had come in and the new ruling powers that had come in. And so many of the Jews from the southern kingdom over the last 500 years had developed this deep bitterness towards the Samaritans. And the Samaritans also to the Jews. They worshiped differently, they thought differently, they even had different political allegiances amongst them. And so the divisions couldn't be greater. And yet, here we have a Samaritan and Jesus the Jew coming together because grat gratitude is unifying, because it crosses boundaries. Think about gratitude in your life. Is it expressed? Is it specified? Is it prioritized? Is it unifying? If not, then go back, review what you think you know about God, reread the message of the gospel this week and rediscover for yourself how God is offering to meet your need. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And that is why, when we see that, we can find true healing. I want to talk really quickly about this last section of the story, which is both beautiful and tragic. Because as this one returns, we're told in Luke 17, verse 17, Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The shocker at the end of this story is despite the fact that Jesus has lavished miraculous healing on all 10 of these men, only one came back. All of them did what he said. All of them received healing, but not all of them came back. And Jesus says two important things. First, he says, no one but the foreigner. Now, this might seem at first a little insulting. It seems like Jesus is disappointed and say, well, I wish someone other than the Samaritan would have come back and said thank you. That's not what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying what he's saying for us, for those who are hearing, perhaps for his disciples who were gathered around them when this happened. He's saying, do you see which one came back? Do you see which one really truly understood what had happened? It was the one that no one expected, the one that everybody else had written off, and yet here he is. 
He got it. But what did he get? Remember his reaction. He praised God and he fell at the feet of Jesus. Do you know what that infers about this man? He thinks that Jesus and God are the same person. This leper that turned back thinks that Jesus is not just a healer, not just a prophet, but he is God incarnate. He sent as Jesus as the one who's worthy of thanks and praise. And at this point in the gospel story, not many people are doing that. And in fact, to do that would to put your own life at risk to, to kind of confirm that this man is God himself. At the start of the story, we're told that as they cry out, Jesus sees them. He sees all of them. But only one of them saw him. Only one of those 10 saw who he really was. Do you see Jesus as he sees you? Do you see his gifts, his blessings, his love, his grace, his mercy, as he sees you and offers those to you? Are you happy enough to receive the blessings of God apart from his son? Or like this leper, do you say that there are no blessings apart from his son? Let me be a little bit more clear with that. What do you want more? Jesus himself or the things that Jesus can give you? Because for this Samaritan leper, the real gift wasn't his healing, it was Jesus. Then Jesus says something else important. He says, your faith has made you well. Now, we might be inclined to think what he's saying to this man is that, well done, because you've trusted, now your body is healed, your physical ailment is gone. But actually, the Greek word that Jesus uses for made you well, that word well, is a Greek word sozo, which is different than some of the other words that have already been used in this passage for cleansed or healed. It's a word that is more profound. Talks not just about the healing of the body, but the healing of the soul. Jesus is saying to this one man, you've got some healing that the others didn't get. Your trust in me, your faith in me has led you to a true healing. I think Luke 7 helps us understand this a little bit more. Luke 7, we're told a story about two debtors. Jesus tells this story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, this one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you've judged rightly. And then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, yet she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. There's a parallel in that story, isn't there? Because just like that story when a, a woman wept at Jesus' feet, in this story, someone else weeps at his feet. That leper had grasped that Jesus had done something for him far greater than removing a physical disease. He understood that Jesus had reached into the very depths of his soul and not purged an uncleanliness of his skin, but an uncleanliness of his soul. Jesus had cleansed him 
the very center of who he was. Do you believe that today? Is there confidence in your soul as you come to hear about Jesus, to hear the stories of what he's done for others? Are you not like these 10 lepers in one way or another? carrying needs in your life and finding yourself in a church this morning because for one reason or another, you think an answer might be in the hands of Jesus. Do you not feel your need? And has he not offered you the same mercy that he offered these men and women? Is God's mercy not as true for you as it was for anyone in the pages of God's word? He has seen you, but do you see him? Gratitude is not true if it doesn't lead you to Jesus. Trying to have some general sense of thankfulness that is disconnected from the giver, it's empty. True gratitude is centered on Jesus. And so if you are struggling this Thanksgiving, if you feel the burdens in your heart and you have needs that need to be met, I want to encourage you, there is good news. Come to Jesus, who delights to show you mercy, who delights to meet your need, to make himself available for the things that you are burdened by and struggle with. Set your eyes on the giver as well as the gifts around the Thanksgiving table. He sees you. He's boundless in mercy towards you. Let him give you reasons to shout and to sing and to express and to dance. Come to him, fall at his feet and let him open your eyes to see him as well as he sees you. I want to close this morning by uh, doing a little exercise together in gratitude. Wherever you are, I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. As we think about this one who's loved us. I want you to let your mind slow down a bit and think about your life. Bring to your mind the amazing gifts of God's mercy and grace that you receive each day that are freely given to you. Think about the relationships in your life. I want you to thank God for those people who have pointed you towards Jesus. Thank him for those who have spoken truth to you, even if it was hard to hear. Thank him for those people in your life who've stood by you and believed in you, even when you did not believe in yourself. Now think about the circumstances in your life. Past, present. Thank God for the opportunities he has given you to grow. Thank him for the way he has and continues to provide for your needs. Thank him for the challenges that he's helped you to face and to overcome. Perhaps thank him even for the painful circumstances that you would not have chosen but through which he's revealed his grace to you. And finally, I want you to focus your thoughts on Jesus himself. I want you to let your mind fill 
with his great love for you, his dedication to you. Thank him for loving you and pursuing you even when you run from him. Thank him for seeing you even when you don't see him. Thank him for his unending mercy and his grace to cover all your sin. And thank him for his sacrificial death on the cross so that you might have life in him. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, we are thankful to be in your house this morning. We're thankful that like these lepers, you have heard us, you've seen us, and you have delighted to show mercy to us. Father, this week we don't want to just have some general sense of thankfulness. Lord, we want to experience true gratitude that will lead us to you, to see you, to know you better. Lord, I pray that as we gather as families around our tables this week, Father, would you fill our hearts with gratitude for your son. Would you fill our families with gratitude that we might be transformed, that we might change direction as this one leopard did and that we might experience what he experienced when he met with you. I pray this in the name of your wonderful son, Jesus. Amen. And it's because of his great faithfulness in response to our interaction with him today that we leave now in gratitude in our hearts, both for this Thanksgiving week, but also through the rest of our days. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.